Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on this Friday, March 5th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be flying solo today as a man of the people. The people reached out when I talked about not knowing what I was going to do on Friday's show and got some feedback, and people said, you know what? Do do the betters box. Do a Major League Baseball show. So that's what I'm going to be doing here on this Friday edition of the podcast to wrap things up. Got plenty of things to talk about on the Major League Baseball side of the spectrum few injury notes to mention at the top of today's show and then I'll go ahead and start with the five and fly segments five minutes on each of the five teams in a division for that day's show and today we'll start things out with the American League East division here so we'll talk Baltimore Boston New York Tampa Bay and Toronto to finish up this week on ATS radio over at ATS.io my 2021 MLB betting guide is there for you to check out uh, the season, not that far away now. I think four weeks from what, Thursday, I think it was. Four weeks from Thursday. So Major League Baseball is rapidly approaching. You want to be prepared for the 2021 season. The best way to do that, at least in my biased opinion, is to check out the MLB betting guide over at the website. Full 30-team season win total previews. Got World Series and pennant futures, division futures, player futures, all kinds of great stuff in that 2021 MLB betting guide. Please check that out. Share it on social media. Talk about it with your friends. Get some eyes in front of that. Worked very, very hard on it. Very proud of this year's edition. A lot of good stuff in that to get you ready for the Major League Baseball season. But also over at the website, stuff to get you ready for soccer games coming up this weekend. College basketball. I've been writing conference tournament previews over at ATS.io. UFC. Big UFC 259 event this weekend, three title fights. We got NASCAR this weekend. Golf is still going on with the Arnold Palmer Invitational. All that good stuff covered for you over at ATS.io. And of course, download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Full article integration from the website, including my MLB betting guide, but it's also a pick tracker. It's also an odd screen. You've got a handicapping database in there of statistics that will help you break down a game. And if you don't want to break down the games, maybe you want someone to do it for you, or you just want to see if you can confirm your suspicions about a game, there is a premium model subscription available in there, $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month. So you can check that out in the ATS app. All right, so as I said, we'll start with some injury notes here. And again, the MLB betting guide is, is already out. You know, it was posted on Thursday, February, what was that here? Uh, February 25th. So things happen. There are changes. You know, there were still some stragglers in the free agent market and all of that. But injuries are really the big thing. And and once this is posted, I mean, I don't edit it. There's no reason to edit it. You know, you just have to keep up on the news, keep up on the latest. And of course, there are some injuries to a couple of overplays that I like here coming into the season. And this happens, and it's one of the reasons why in the guide I sort of advised, you know, hey, look, yeah, you might lose some line value. Yeah, a win total might go up a little bit. But getting a team to opening day healthy, at least in my opinion, is the most important thing. So for the overs in the guide, kind of talked about waiting on those for a little bit, kind of waiting to see if those teams would make it to the regular season healthy. With an under, I'll fire. Any injury is actually good for my bet for the most part. But with overs, injuries can be a very significant thing. Two of them here to touch on with overplays that I liked, and then a few injury notes to just kind of follow and and sort of keep in mind here. 
but one of them being Cole Calhoun for the Diamondbacks. And one of the reasons why I like the Diamondbacks so much this season is because I expect them to really bounce back offensively on the road. Last year, they were pretty much in line with their 2019 performance at home, but on the road, they dropped significantly. Well, when you think about it, you know, I mean, look, Dodger Stadium, the Dodgers will hit anywhere. It's not a great offensive park. It's certainly gotten better here of late. Petco Park has gotten better as well, sort of in line with the Padres improving. But the Diamondbacks only played three of their 10 games against the Rockies at Coors Field, did very well offensively in those three games. You know, they had to play at Oracle Park, which again, did play different than it usually does, but they didn't exactly benefit from it. So the Diamondbacks, a team now that will play the other 14 teams in the National League, not just the four teams in their division, that means road stops in some better ballparks. So figure Arizona offensively would get better on the road, but Calhoun is a big part of that. And Calhoun is also a pretty good defensive outfielder as well. A guy with a great arm, pretty good fielder, and a guy that you know offensively walks and hits for power and two things that the Diamondbacks absolutely need. So Calhoun out until probably mid-April, maybe early May, after suffering a torn meniscus. And these are things that you want to pay attention to in spring training, not just from a betting standpoint, but because when you think about these injuries, you know, you lose spring training, that's a big deal because that's when you get your timing together. That's when you get your reps in and kind of work on your conditioning and all of those different types of things. It's an even bigger deal for pitchers where a pitcher may you know, have a stiff back, a stiff neck, maybe an oblique or an intercostal, something like that. And it really limits their ability to ramp up for the season. And they wind up generally struggling until mid to late May before they really get their arms built up and all of that. So it's very important to follow along with these injuries here. And of course, one like Calhoun, one that people probably won't take too much notice in, especially because it should only cost him maybe three or four weeks of the season. But again, for me, liking the Arizona win total over, it's not a high number by any means. But still, when you're betting overs, you want to get your team to the regular season as healthy as possible. And that's one that, you know, could have a little bit of an impact. However, it won't have as much of an impact as this one. And this one, a big blow for my thoughts on the Houston Astros, did already play this over because I thought this would be an over that would go up a little bit. But Framber Valdez, who had such a great 2020 season in that short little sprint, the Astros really fixed his control issues. His walk rate was cut basically in half, and he wound up being a very valuable pitcher for Houston when they needed him. You know, they were without Garrett Cole. They lost him to the Yankees. They were without Justin Verlander. They lost him to Tommy John. They had all kinds of injury issues in the bullpen and all of that. And Valdez wound up being a pretty stabilizing force in this rotation then in his first start the other day a pretty innocuous play overall Uh, Lindor taps one back to the mound Valdez gets his hand in the way instead of gloving the baseball now they're saying it's a fractured ring finger that could need season-ending surgery and that was the first opinion that they got was to go ahead and have this procedure done and this was the biggest area of concern for Houston I'm not worried about the bullpen I'm not worried about the lineup But this rotation, which looked good if healthy, now has to tap into the depth a little bit more. And a guy like Forrest Whitley, a top prospect in the Astros organization, he hasn't been healthy. They've had some other guys that have had some injury concerns kind of coming up through the system. So 
Now you lose a guy like Valdez, and, and I presume with him being a younger guy, they'll go ahead and have the surgery, not make him pitch through it or anything like that. Houston could go out there and sign a Rick Porcello. They could sign a Jake Odorizzi, somebody to a one-year deal. And I think as a stopgap, it's good enough. But Valdez is one of those guys that added to the ceiling for this Houston team. So that's definitely a blow. Disappointing for me, as I said, already took a piece of Houston for the World Series and for their season win total over just because I expected the World Series price to go down, the win total to maybe go up a little bit. Now Valdez gets hurt. It's the chance you take. You know, it's part of the gambling process where sometimes things just don't really work out for you. Like I said, though, I do think that Houston will sign one of the top free agent guys that are left. Porcello, I'm not a big Rick Porcello guy, but last year, 564 ERA, 333 FIP. So, you know, a guy that did have some signs of positive regression, doesn't walk anybody. I'm sure Houston can work with him on the home run rate and all of that. Porcello, maybe not a bad one-year grab for them. Odorizzi, a guy that's got a little bit higher of an upside. And really all Houston has to do is look at what the Twins did with Odorizzi in that 2019 season. Big spike in strikeout rate. They did a good job consecutive years keeping his home run rate down. The Astros will probably pick up one of these guys, slot one of them in where Valdez was. So it's not a death knell or anything like that, but still something that is concerning. And again, one of the reasons why you know, I generally caution people from betting overs too early in the process here because these injuries can wind up having an impact. Nate Pearson for Toronto, a groin strain for him. That'll probably keep him off the opening day roster. The thing about Pearson, though, is that he was going to be on an innings limit anyway. So not a good start for Toronto. I'm leaning under with this team anyway, and I will talk about them in a few minutes here during the five and fly segment. But again, these injuries that may seem pretty innocent in nature may not seem like that big of a deal. For pitchers, they absolutely are. Anything that takes you off the field in March where you're ramping up for the season can throw you for a loop. You know, some guys, it takes them a long time to get back into rhythm, to feel comfortable. Because the thing about spring training is you can work on a lot of stuff. You know, you you see these notes about starters getting rocked in their first appearances and all of that. A lot of those guys are just throwing exclusively fastballs. You know, they're just, they're working on things. They're working on fastball command to both sides of the plate and all of that. So you have the ability to do that in spring training. You know, work on your fastball. Some guys are going to come out and they're going to throw all changeups and curveballs in their spring training outings. You can do that. When you get to the season, you sure as hell can't do that. So pitching injuries are a big deal to say the least here in spring training. Pearson specifically because Toronto was going to put the kid gloves on him anyway. You know, making a big leap in innings pitch would not be a good idea with the injury history that he has and and sort of how his minor league uh, seasons have gone so far. So this is a concerning one for them because they don't have great starting pitching depth anyway. And now a guy like Pearson, one of their upside guys, you know, now you kind of send him to the alternate training site, let him get built up, probably goes to AAA. Pearson's probably a guy now at this point that I wouldn't expect to see for Toronto until maybe June, just because this setback does hold him up a little bit when he was going to be held up a little bit anyway. One that I did miss here uh, for the New York Mets, Seth Lugo, in the middle of February, had had surgery for a bone spur in his elbow. He's trying to work his way back a little bit. It's going to be a pretty slow process for him. 
that's a loss to the Mets depth and also their bullpen upside. I really do like Seth Lugo overall. Great curveball, one of the highest spin rates in baseball on that pitch. Pretty good fastball command. A good bullpen piece for the Mets. And as I talked about a lot in the guide, and as I will talk about a lot as we go forward here on the show, bullpens are just critically important and something that people are factoring into the equation a lot more over the last few years, but they don't really factor injuries in the bullpen into the equation. They'll just assume, well, the bullpen will figure itself out. When you lose a key guy, and in particular in Lugo, a guy that can work multiple innings for you if you want him to, that's a substantial loss. So that's what I'm following very closely with the Mets here and something that may kind of limit me betting full games with them early on in the season. Lastly here, before we get to the AL East, just want to mention, watch for reports on guys coming back from injury or coming back from a major surgery. You'll get Cody Bellinger, for example, coming back from the shoulder surgery when he injured his shoulder uh, in the, the National League playoffs last year. Watch for guys coming back from Tommy John. Watch for guys coming back from you know down seasons from a velocity standpoint. I know people are pretty excited about Madison Bumgarner hitting 91 in his first spring start. Struck out six of the seven batters he faced. Bumgarner was a guy last year that not only did he have bad numbers, but also had a decrease in velocity. So those are all things worth keeping an eye on because, you know, again, a lot of people right now enamored with basketball, following that very closely. You can find some good early season opportunities buying low and selling high on some of these starting pitchers if you're paying attention to that news cycle here in spring training. And I think that's something that we can look to do here and something I will try to update as we go throughout the month of March. Going to try to do uh, six baseball segments here. Do the five and flies, but also update injuries and some of the other things that I'm seeing uh, from around spring training. So going to try to fit that in here before April 1st on the show. And as always, I do send out my notes from the betters box. If you're on the email list for that, and you can get on that email list, skatingtripods at gmail.com. I send out my notes for the betters box because a lot of times I do talk about a lot of stats, a lot of things that may be a little bit tough to follow, especially if you listen to the show while driving or while at the gym or something like that, and you don't have the ability to write some of these things down. I do send out my notes from the betters box shows. So if you want to be on that email list, skatingtripods at gmail.com. And if you don't, when I send the notes, you decide, you know what, I'm not betting anymore or I'm just not interested anymore. That's fine. No hard feelings. Let me know. I'll take you off the list, not send you the notes, not fill up your inbox because Lord knows all of us get enough spam and stuff like that anyway. So if you want to get on the list for the betters box notes, skatingtripods at gmail.com. And if you want to get off the list, no hard feelings. I totally understand. Once we get to the month of April, I do the betters box twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And then I do the show with Brian Blessing on Tuesdays because we cover golf, NASCAR, and all those different types of things. So once we get to April after the national championship game, that will be the format for the show. So the betters box twice a week on Monday and Thursday. And again, if you want the notes from the shows, the notes that I use to record the show, skatingtripods at gmail.com. All right, so the five and fly segment here, what the five and fly is, is five minutes on each team. I got a stopwatch here on my phone. I watch it pretty closely. It's usually a 25-minute segment, five minutes on each team. Sometimes I do go a little bit long with a team. I'll save some time on a team that's maybe less interesting, something like that. But 
I like this format. It gives you the chance to get a lot of information about these teams in a short five-minute window. You'll get the hang of it as we go along. So let's go ahead and start here with the five and fly for the American League East Division. And that begins with the Baltimore Orioles. Now, the Baltimore Orioles, to me, are an over team here for this season. Their season win total uh, in the mid-60s. I don't think that this is a 100-loss team here. And I've talked about this a lot, and I will continue to harp on this point, but teams that invest in analytics, teams that make those front office adjustments to bring in those Ivy Leaguers that, you know, they didn't play the game, games not played on spreadsheets, all that kind of thing. These are guys that understand how to interpret data. They understand how to collect data. And we know, and if you follow baseball with any degree of seriousness, you know that analytics rule the game now. For better or worse, whether you like them or not, the game is very data-driven at this point in time. And when you get these front offices or these managers that have this very old-school approach, I think it holds those teams back. And it's not because they necessarily do anything wrong. It's simply because they don't adapt. They're not willing to you know, sort of look at what's happening around Major League Baseball and play follow the leader. And what the Orioles have done here with Mike Elias and Sig Mejdal, they've gotten much, much smarter in the front office. They've gotten more data-driven. And when you look at this team from 2019, they improved in the second half. When you look at this team from 2020, they were they had a 500 record according to base runs in the 60-game split. Now, base runs is an alternate standings metric over at Fangraphs. I've talked about base runs a lot on the show, but essentially it takes sequencing out of the equation. So if you have an inning that goes home run, single, single, strikeout, 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 you scored one run in that inning. If you go single, single, home run, strikeout, 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 you scored three runs in that inning. Same six individual outcomes, the sequencing just happened to be different. So base runs, what it does is strips away the context, strips away the sequencing, takes all of those individual outcomes and says, okay, here's how many runs scored per game the team would have. Here's how many runs allowed per game the team would have. Here's their run differential and then uses Pythagorean win-loss to create a record. So when you look at the Orioles from last season in that 60-game sample, they were actually a 30-30 and team. Now, they didn't finish that way. They weren't a 500 team by actual record. But when you look at the Orioles from last season, they were seventh overall in batting average, but 21st in batting average with runners in scoring position. So with the bases empty, they got a lot of hits. With men in scoring position, they didn't get as many hits. So that ultimately impacted their ability to score runs. And that was the season without Trey Mancini, who was getting treated for cancer. It was a season where... Obviously, things were a little bit strange, but you know, an Orioles team that actively showed signs of getting better. They increased their pull percentage last year, so they pulled the ball a lot more. Now, the one downside for them, and the one reason why I am concerned about this offense and why I think league average is a big ask, is that they were still dead last in Major League Baseball in exit velocity. So they didn't make a lot of quality contact. They just found holes when they did. But they didn't find those same holes with runners in scoring position. So there's always give and take. When you sort of look at a team's full profile from the previous season, 
there's always give and take. There's something that will regress negatively and something that will regress positively. To me, I think Baltimore gets better with men in scoring position, but also I think they have a lower batting average. They have a lower BABIP, batting average on balls in play. They have an offense that you know, is probably in the bottom half of the league, but usually what we see are upgrades on the pitching side long before we see them on the offensive side. And the Orioles do have some more swing and miss in their rotation this year with Dean Kramer, with uh, Keegan Aiken, with some of the guys they've kind of brought in that kind of graduated from the minor league system. No, I don't love Matt Harvey. No, I don't like Felix Hernandez. No, I don't think John Means is actually a front of the rotation guy. But I do think that the Orioles, like most teams that you know fall in line with data and with analytics, will find a way to maximize production out of the talent that they have. So this is a team that will still lose a lot of games. I think they do still lose 90 plus games, but they're not going to lose 100. And so with that, I think their ceiling is a little bit higher than their floor. And I think their win total is pretty close to their floor. So I think Baltimore is an over team and a team that we may find some opportunities to back here as this season goes along. Next up here is the Boston Red Sox. Look, offensively, Boston will be fine. I'm looking for a big bounce back season from J.D. Martinez. If you read the MLB betting guide, if you read the preview for the Red Sox or read my Home Run King article, you know my thoughts on J.D. Martinez. A guy that still makes a lot of good contact, still has a very friendly park factor. He's not that old. He'll only turn 34 later this year. So it's not like he's a guy that I would expect to really drop off significantly. The aging curve, not as big of a deal when you're a DH. Just ask Nelson Cruz. So I think J.D. Martinez bounces back in the middle of this order. Also, I think you get a better season from a guy like Raphael Raphael Devers. And you get a better season from J.D. Martinez. So those are two key guys in the middle of this order that I think will do really well. Alex Verdugo, you know, a guy that last year would have missed the start of the season with a back injury, but he wound up playing the full 60-game sprint, was very good. I think he had a WRC plus in the 125 range which means he was 25% better than league average offensively. Xander Bogarts can still hit. They've got guys that can hit. This will be, once again, another very good Boston Red Sox offense. And that park factor. I mean, look, the only park, when you look at a lot of the metrics that are out there, the only park that's really in the same breath as Fenway Park is Coors Field. So this is basically the closest thing you get to Coors Field, the best offensive park in the American League. And the Red Sox will take advantage of that. When you talk about what teams do to tailor their lineups to their ballparks, Boston hits for a lot of power. A lot of guys that can pepper that short wall in left field. Guys that can take advantage of that short porch in right field around the pesky pole. So Boston's offense is very much tailored to this ballpark. And a lot of teams do do that and try to use that as an advantage. You play 81 games at home. You play 81 games across all of the other ballparks in baseball. So you've got to maximize your advantage there at home. And Boston does that really well on the offensive side. Now, the problem is that road teams also come into Fenway Park and hit well. And this Boston starting rotation is problematic. You know, we may see Chris Sale sometime in the middle of the season here coming back from Tommy John, maybe July or August, I guess I would sort of take a look at. But Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, a guy that I really like, a guy that, you know, I've, I've had some success backing over the last couple of years. 
a guy that I don't think the market really realized how good he was because he wasn't healthy. He had back issues. He had some knee issues, all of that. But Eduardo Rodriguez last year missed the season because of myocarditis, one of the symptoms, side effects, whatever you want to call it, of having COVID. So the inflamed myocardium for Erod kept him off the field. And so now you wonder, and, and there weren't a lot of guys that opted out or anything like that. There were some guys that missed the season due to injury, but now you wonder for Rodriguez, a guy that had back-to-back very good seasons, a guy that was able to stay healthy in 2019. Does that missed season affect his performance and his production? Is that something that will be a problem for him? Because we're talking about a lot of these guys here that threw, you know, 55 or 60 innings in that short sample. And teams are talking about protecting arms and talking about six-man rotations. Baltimore, who I just talked about, probably going to run a six-man rotation. They won't be the only one. I think there's a good chance that the Angels wind up doing a six-man rotation, at least at the outset. Boston doesn't have the depth to do that. But now you'll get a guy in Rodriguez who's had these nagging injuries before. He goes from zero innings last year to having to really go out there and throw 180-plus for a starting rotation that is just not good for Boston. Nate Uvalde gives up a lot of hard contact, pitched around it last year, credit to him for that. But he gives up a lot of hard contact. One of the things Boston is looking to do here, they are trying to find a lot of ground ball guys. And I think it makes sense, really. I mean, obviously, with the dimensions of Fenway Park, it certainly makes sense to induce as many ground balls as you possibly can. But this isn't a great defensive infield. They lose Jackie Bradley Jr. now. And maybe Franchi Cordero can be a good defensive player. I don't know. But they lose Jackie Bradley Jr., a very good defensive center fielder. I'm worried a lot about Boston. I'm looking to play overs in Boston games because they will hit, but they're going to give up a lot of runs as well. And they don't have a good defense. They've got a bad bullpen and a depth shy rotation. I'm looking at the under for the Red Sox for the season win total, but I'm looking at overs on a game by game basis for this team, which really comes as no surprise. Next up here, the New York Yankees and Corey Kluber looked very sharp in his first spring appearance. That's a big boost for the Yankees because the rotation is the only worry that I have about this team. You've got Garrett Cole. There's nothing to worry about there. As long as he stays healthy, he will be productive. 200 strikeouts, 200 plus innings pitch, maybe 300 strikeouts. Uh, who knows with Cole, but he's a guy that's healthy, elite level stuff. Nothing's going to change about that. The Yankees here sign Corey Kluber, trade for Jamison Tyon, and they replace Masahiro Tanaka. You know, Luis Severino, he's hurt again. Who knows what we'll get out of him. They do get Domingo Herman back. I think that's a pretty big positive for them. Uh, you know, not notwithstanding why the reason that Herman was suspended for last year. But, you know, a guy that I think does have some upside in this rotation. And Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery, a guy I absolutely love. Montgomery's a guy, I call it a kitchen sink arsenal. And I don't just love him because he's a South Carolina Gamecock, but a kitchen sink arsenal where he's one of those lefties that throws the four-pitch mix, but he gets some swing and miss. He's got really, really good command. He was in the 95th percentile in exit velocity against last year, 88th percentile in hard hit percentage against. He's a guy that's really good, really underrated in the middle of this rotation And it's kind of hidden because he didn't have a great ERA last year. Montgomery is a guy that I think we get a lot of hidden value out of because I don't think the market realizes how good of a pitcher this guy actually is. 
I think he's the kind of guy that I want to look to back a lot because we'll get cheaper prices with him in these Yankees games. Montgomery last year, 5'11 ERA in his 10 starts covering 44 innings. So people are going to look at this guy and say, oh, 5'11 ERA. But 5'11 ERA with a 387 FIP fielding independent pitching and a 365 X FIP fielding independent pitching with a home run to fly ball percentage regressed to the league average. When you look at line movements in the Major League Baseball betting market, when you have a guy with a high e- higher ERA and a lower FIP, money comes in on that guy a lot. So I think Jordan Montgomery is the kind of guy that we want to back on the overnight lines, get some line value with him. We can always decide if we want to come back on the other side. But Jordan Montgomery is an example of what the Yankees have really tried to do here over the last few seasons. They've kind of discouraged their pitchers from throwing fastballs, specifically four-seam fastballs. If they're going to throw them, they're going to kind of work up in the zone with them. A lot of their guys don't throw a whole lot of sinkers anymore. And when I look at Corey Kluber, and this was a big complaint I had about Kluber at the tail end of his Indians tenure, he throws his sinker too much, and his sinker is bad. It is not a good pitch. Hitters make really hard contact against Corey Kluber's sinker. Not a big fan of that pitch. But he goes to New York, where they're going to encourage him to throw more cutters. The Yankees have been very very much at the forefront of sort of the uh, cutter craze here in Major League Baseball. So he's going to throw more cutters. He's got that good curveball. He's got a little bit of a changeup that he can mix in. But I think they really improve and overhaul the pitch usage for Corey Kluber. Similarly, while Kluber kind of fell into their laps a little bit after that showcase that he had, I believe, down in Florida, they traded for Jamison Tyon. And they explicitly wanted Jamison Tyon. And the Yankees, to me now, are one of those teams like the Tampa Bay Rays where when they want a guy, there's a reason. And I look for that reason. There are teams out there in Major League Baseball that will sit there and say, I do not want to trade with the Rays. I do not want to trade with the Padres because there's something I'm not seeing and I'm losing this trade. The Yankees, I think, kind of have that reputation as well. But with Pittsburgh shedding so much payroll, they were willing to give up Tyon. Of course, Tyon, a guy who... Missed some time getting treated for testicular cancer. Had Tommy John surgery. He's got kind of a questionable health history himself. But Tyon is a guy where I think the Yankees can unlock his potential as well. And this lineup is exceptional. It's deep. It's good. The bullpen is outstanding. They've got a lot of upside guys. Really going slider heavy in the bullpen for the Yankees. There's a lot that I like about this team. And I think this ceiling for this rotation is much higher than people realize because I think Kluber coming off of effectively two missed seasons with some time to rest that arm, tie on a guy that the Yankees wanted to go out there and get. They've upgraded Montgomery. I think they'll do the same with Herman this season. I like the Yankees a lot. I'm talking myself into an over bet with the New York Yankees here for the 2021 season. Next up here is the Tampa Bay Rays. And last year I was extremely bullish on the Rays. Raise to win the World Series, raise over their season win total, raise to win the AL, raise to do a lot of different things. Ultimately, they did. They won the AL, they won the AL East, they went to the World Series. Of course, it was in the short sample. And, you know, with the 60 game sprint, kind of depressed all the odds a little bit, didn't wind up having any piece of the raise, uh, you know, as far as their futures. Wasn't exactly sure how to bet futures for that 60 game season. 
but it was nice to know that I was right. And I would have been right over 162 games as well. And I thought going into this season with the Rays, I'm not going to be as high on this team. I'm not going to be as bullish on this team. They lose Blake Snell. They lose Charlie Morton. You know, they, they reshuffle the bullpen. Probably not going to be as high on this team. Then I wrote up their preview. Then I dug into what they did during the offseason. And I looked at all the guys that were still there. And it's pretty apropos here during this five and fly segment to mention that the Rays will be a five and fly staff. And that was a big bone that a lot of people picked with Kevin Cash about what happened in game six of the World Series. Blake Snell seemingly sailing right along. Cash pulls him, goes to Nick Anderson. The shit hits the fan. They lose the game two to one. Well, that's what got the Rays to where they were. That's what got the Rays to being 40 and 20 in the regular season. That blueprint that all of the sudden was in front of everybody got criticized. But it's smart. It's what works. I think it's a brilliant way of managing your pitching staff. It's also a cheap way of putting together a rotation. So when you look at the Rays here for this season, they've reunited with Chris Archer, which I don't know how that goes. We'll, we'll kind of wait and see. But Tyler Glass out the front of this rotation, often hurt, not a guy that works too deep into games. They get Michael Waka, guy with a plus changeup, who again, often hurt, doesn't work too deep into games. Rich Hill, always hurt, doesn't work too deep into games, but has that elite fastball slider mix when he is out there. They've got Josh Fleming, a guy from the minor leagues. They've got Ryan Yarbrough, who they've really built up very nicely. He's been a developmental win for them. This Rays starting staff, is it sexy? Hell no, not at all. But I think it's really practical, and I think it works for them. And I think specifically, it works for what they want to do. Kevin Cash will have a quick trigger finger, and it's just the way it is. And I think there are some guys, Snell included, that were rubbed the wrong way by that. But now if you're a free agent coming in, signing with the Rays, you know what you're getting yourself into. And I think that this is something that's really beneficial for Tampa Bay here, that they've got guys like Archer, like Waka, they're trying to build themselves back up a little bit, and they'll be fine with going five and five. If it helps their numbers, they'll be fine with it. So the Rays, I think, are set up really nicely on the pitching side, even though they lose name brand guys like Snell and Morton. I think people just don't realize what the Rays are trying to do here and the success that they can have with it. Then you look at the bullpen. The bullpen's outstanding. I love the Colin McHugh gamble. I think Colin McHugh's a guy that could fit really nicely here with this team. So the bullpen is good. The rotation is good enough for the purposes it needs to serve. And I love what the Rays do offensively. You know, I just talked about it with Boston where they are tailored to play at Fenway Park. The Rays are at Tropicana Field, which is not a good offensive park, easily the worst in this division. But the Rays play differently at home than they do on the road. Tampa Bay, at home last season, they struck out or walked in 39.8% of their plate appearances. On the road... They struck out or walked in 35.6% of their plate appearances. So a strikeout or a walk in 4.2% higher of their plate appearances at home. Because at Tropicana Field, the ball doesn't carry as well. This is a team that can hit for power when it needs to. 
and gets more aggressive on the road at home. They're looking to maximize, you know, the smaller percentage, the smaller number of scoring opportunities on the road. They're looking to be aggressive. A big increase in pull percentage last year. They hit more fly balls last year as well. They are always on the cutting edge. And by being a chameleon, by playing different at home than they do on the road, they can win in both places. This is the single smartest organization in Major League Baseball. And even with the brain drain that they've had, they've been able to keep up their edges. They've been able to be a cutting edge type of team for all of the reasons I just mentioned. I'm on the Rays over, played this one already. I think this one goes up too, but I'm really bullish on the Rays' chances here to have another successful season. And that brings me to the Toronto Blue Jays to finish up this five and fly segment here. And the reason why Tampa Bay's win total is depressed a little bit in that 86 and a half range is because of the presence of the Toronto Blue Jays. And if you give me a head-to-head Tampa Bay versus Toronto season win total, Tampa Bay Bay winning that season win total head-to-head would be one of my biggest bets in the baseball season. I don't think Toronto is quite there yet. Now, they will be playing in Dunedin and Buffalo. They're two offensive parks. They will be good for an offense first team. I don't know if they get back to Toronto at any point this season. We'll kind of have to wait and see how all of that plays out. But these two parks will play well for their offense when they are at home. And obviously, playing in the American League East, you play in some very good road ballparks. And there aren't a lot of bad ballparks in the American League as far as offense goes, just the ones that are out there on the West Coast. And Toronto will only go to those cities once. However, their home ballparks in Dunedin and Buffalo will also be good offensive parks for their opponents too. And offensively, they're good. Springer and Semyon, two very good additions. Two good defensive players as well. I give Marcus Semien all the credit in the world. He was an awful shortstop when he first came up with the White Sox. I mean, he was terrible. But he worked hard at it, worked hard at it with Oakland, helped to have Matt Chapman to his right. That certainly was, you know, a pretty beneficial thing for him. But he wound up becoming a pretty good defensive shortstop. Now he'll play second base for Toronto. So we'll see how that kind of goes for him. But look, as good as this offense will be, and they've got Springer and Semyon and Biggio and Bichette and Teoscar Hernandez and Rowdy Telez and just a bunch of guys, Randall Gritchick, a bunch of guys that can hit, a bunch of guys with good power. It will be a good offense. I'm not denying that at all, and I never would. But this pitching staff is very worrisome to me. Hunjin Ryu will be fine as the guy at the front of this rotation. But what happens after that? You know, what what did they do to put together a competent rotation? And as I just mentioned at the top of the show, Nate Pearson, the guy who probably has the most upside and the highest ceiling for them, already dealing with a groin injury. That'll slow him down. As I said, they're going to limit his innings anyway. So he was probably going to the alternate training site. But this Toronto team, you know, I just, I don't know who gets outs for them. I don't know who consistently pitches well enough to give them a good chance. And another part of the problem here is that even when you get beyond Robbie Ray and you get beyond Tanner Roark and Steven Matz and Ross Stripling, who Stripling may have the second highest upside of this rotation, what does this bullpen look like here? I like Kirby Yates. I think Yates is in a bounce back situation. Beyond that, David Phelps, he's been hurt most of the last three seasons. Tyler Chatwood was you know good in a relief capacity for the Cubs, but 
you know, I don't know what he'll be like here in a relief capacity for Toronto. They've got a lot of starters and multi-inning guys in this bullpen, in Julian Merriweather, in Trent Thornton, one of my personal favorites, in Anthony Kay. They've got some guys in this bullpen that can be multi-inning relievers. So what I want to know is, will Toronto go the Tampa Bay route? Will they go five and fly with anybody outside of Ryu and then put this bullpen out there to try and put the pieces together, maybe get six outs from some of these guys, maybe kind of work these guys into those multi-inning relief roles, something like that. Will they be creative? Does manager Charlie Montoyo, who was the bench coach for Kevin Cash in Tampa Bay, have that in him? Does he have that capability to turn this team into something unconventional? Will the pitchers be okay with that? Because that's a big part of it too. You have to get the buy-in. And when you think about some of these guys, Robbie Ray on a one-year deal, you know, Tanner Roark, Steven, Tanner Roark's 35 almost, you know, does he want to be reinvented at this stage of his career? Steven Matz, you know, an arbitration guy kind of coming up on his free agency. Where is he at with this whole thing? The Toronto Blue Jays are a high variance team to me. I think they could be really good. The offense is good. They've got enough options in the pitching staff to figure some things out. Will they figure them out? I don't know. Will they do what I hope, what I think they should do? I don't know. If I find out that they are, I'm going to bet on this team a lot more than I'm going to be against it. If they don't, then they're an over team and a team that I think has the chance to be around 500. I think they'd fall well short of that 86, 86 and a half season win total expectation. So I think there's a lot of questions to answer here with Toronto, a lot of interesting things to talk about. And we'll talk about more of those as this season goes along here. So as far as next week goes, probably next Friday, I'll do another betters box edition with a five and fly for the American League Central. Again, by then it will be March 12th. So maybe I'll do the Central and the West together, something like that could be a very long show, but I want to get all of the five and fly segments out here for these six divisions before we get to opening day on April 1st. Coming up on our Monday edition of ATS Radio, Kyle Hunter will join me from huntersportspicks.com. We will hit as many conference tournaments as we possibly can without doing like a two, two and a half hour show. ACC, Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12, SEC. We'll cover all the major ones, but then also cover the conference tournaments that did not get started this week. Uh, So we'll have a lot of ground to cover on that Monday edition of the show. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Make sure you head over to ATS.io. Check out that 2021 MLB betting guide. And I will talk to you again on Monday.